one. This is going to be the final part of the resolving solving issues in church. So I'm going to go out with full peace in my heart once this episode is and series is concluded. BruceGarinza.net. This is January 1st, 2020. The article title says, Real Christian Pastors Don't Lust After Women. Obviously, that's sarcastic, especially after what I'm going to be reading to you starting now. Recently, Godfrey Migwi, pastor of House of Hope Church in Nairobi, Kenya, and a clinical psychologist addressed the temptations pastors face from, quote, unquote, skimpily dressed women. Migley stated, at times we're tempted by skimpily dressed women who come to church to make advances on us in the name of counseling. We are human beings and have feelings. Mickley is admitting that pastors are human, that they can be quote unquote tempted just like anyone else. Pastors aren't immune from sexual want and desire, as if we needed him to tell us this, right? Those of us who spent years in Christian slash evangelical churches know that pastors, deacons, evangelists, missionaries, worship leaders, youth directors and Sunday school teachers can and do not only commit sex crimes, but also engage in consensual sexual relations with congregants. It is also true that there are women and men who develop sexual feelings for their pastors and at times act on those feelings. I had several occasions over the course of 25 years in the ministry where it became crystal clear to me that a female congregant had an interest in me beyond my Bible knowledge. Counselors, doctors, and others who have close intimate relationships with people face similar problems. It is also true that pastors can develop sexual feelings for one or more congregants and at times act on those feelings too. To admit this is stating the obvious. Pastors and other church leaders are normal human beings, subject to the same wants, needs, and desires as their congregants. The difference, however, is that pastors have a moral and ethical obligation, let alone a commitment to their spouses, to refrain from acting on their desire to be sexually intimate with congregants. Migley, as is common for evangelicals to do, blames women for pastors being sexually tempted. If women would dress, quote unquote, properly, men of God wouldn't be tempted to fuck congregants. We have heard this before, right? This is nothing more than an attempt on the part of clergy to evade personal responsibility for their sexuality. Pastors preach personal responsibility and accountability, yet when it comes to their own moral weaknesses and failures, they blame others. 
Jeff Maples of Reformation Charlotte fame has a completely different take on this issue. Here's what Maples had to say about Pastor Maples' statement about quote-unquote skimpily dressed women. Of course, sexual immorality is rampant in Pentecostalism, and the, and the denomination is where the majority of clergy fall to sexual immorality end up when they are quote-unquote restored to ministry. It's difficult to discern whether what this pastor says is actually true or not. In Africa, the climate is different. Perhaps in Africa, pastors who preach the word of God stand on the authority of scripture and are devoted to making converts and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are typically sought out to be fawned over by underdressed women and seduced into one night stands. Perhaps, but perhaps, these pastors, particularly the ones who preach the false Pentecostal word of faith gospel and lead people into the idolatry of money, are actually tempted because they are, well, largely false converts. First, Maple states sexual immorality is rampant in Pentecostalism, and the denomination is where the majority of clergy fall to sexual immorality end up when they are, quote-unquote, restored to ministry. Maples would have readers believe that clergy sexual misconduct is a big problem in Pentecostal slash charismatic churches and exposed sinning pastors usually are later quote unquote restored to the ministry. Maples is largely right. However, he seems to be oblivious to the fact that his own corner of the evangelical tent has the same problem, that clergy sexual misconduct is common wherever people gather to worship the Christian God. As the Black Collar Crime series makes clear, evangelical pastors can be and are sexual predators. Imagine if I started a series that focused on evangelical pastors and their consensual affairs and sexual dalliances. Why I wouldn't have time to write about anything else. Is clergy sexual infidelity rare? Hell no. Second, Maples does what Christian fundamentalists do when trying to distance themselves from quote-unquote sinning brethren. He says they aren't true Christians. Maples says perhaps these pastors are actually tempted because they are, well, largely false converts. Nick Wee and his fellow Pentecostals slash charismatics are evangelical theologically. He has lots of crazy shit goes on in Pentecostal slash charismatic churches but the same can be said for evangelical churches in general what's quote-unquote crazy is in the eye of the beholder if the sexual temptation Nicky speaks of is as maple says due to the tempted pastors not being true christians can we not then conclude that maples is saying that true christian pastors are not sexually tempted nor do they commit quote-unquote sexual sins Maples and others of his ilk believe Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Bible are talisman of sorts that ward off Jezebel's who want to bad quote-unquote godly pastors. Jesus is a chastity belt for pastors, or so Maples would have us believe anyway. However, as anyone who is paying attention to what goes on in evangelical circles knows, sexual scandal is not uncommon among God's chosen ones. Evangelical salvation does not inoculate pastors from sexual desire and temptation. I just wish that evangelicals would admit that they have the same wants, needs, and desires as the unwashed, uncircumcised 
things of the world. That pastors can and do have sexual affairs. Wouldn't it be refreshing for a quote-unquote sinning pastor, sinning pastor to admit that he desired a woman who was not his wife, pursued her, and bedded her for no other reason than because he wanted to? Stop with all the excuses and misdirections and just admit your humanity, fallibility, and frailty, oh men of God, quote-unquote. Time to climb off your high horse and own your sexuality. I picked this article because it shows us that we like to also blame women for the porn habits of their spouses that tend to be men in this religious context. And tell wives keep the weight off. Don't gain too much weight when you're pregnant. Look like a 10 all the time. Cook, clean, be the combat, be the housewife. Any of the misdeeds in terms of thought, word, and just actions of the husband, they make it misogynistic by fault finding the woman even though you ain't the woman did nothing wrong, said nothing wrong, thought nothing wrong, felt nothing wrong. And when it comes to affairs, sexual scandals, even sex crimes, the woman is the scapegoat while the man is experiencing a false sense of protection. from the necessary consequences for his perversion. This is proof to me that the main ones claiming sexual purity are the most sexually impure folks in the, in the globe. Let's uh, continue to have this conversation. Black collar crime. Evangelical pastor warned Welch accused of having sex with an inmate. June 10th, 2020. Warren Welch, an evangelical pastor of Native American Ministries and Evangelism and Ministry of the United Pentecostal Church International, stands accused of having sex with a South Dakota women's prison inmate while she was out on work release. Welch was a corrections officer at the prison. Capital Journal reports Warren Welch, a former prison guard and evangelical pastor, allegedly had sex with an inmate while working in the state women's prison in Pierre, 
and provided her with contraband in return. Welch, 62, was a pastor for years in South Dakota, including in Pierre with an evangelical denomination. He focused on ministering to Native Americans in South Dakota and other states, according to church publications. He's a member of the Crow Creek Sioux Tribe, according to the church's publications. State Circuit Court Judge Bridget Mayer told Welch on Tuesday he's facing up to eight years in prison on four felony counts handed down by a grand jury on May 26. Two counts alleged she had prohibited sexual acts with an inmate on four dates. December 9, 2018, April 9, 2019, May 16, 2019, July 16, 2019. Two counts that he provided the woman, the woman with quote unquote unauthorized articles identified in other court documents, including cell phones and cash. According to court documents, Welch and the woman said they met at a church in So, Fox, several years ago, maintained contact. Documents state the woman told an investigator she would have sex with Welch in return for him providing her items such as cell phones and cash. The woman was on work release in and near Pierre last year in late 2018. She said she and Welch would have sex in vehicles and other places while she was out of the prison on work release. The woman watching security video with an investigator said it showed a time last year when Welch, while working as a guard, delivered a cell phone to her in a way that avoided detection, according to court doc, according to court documents. Welch's bio states, Reverend Mrs. Warren Welch in the Native communities in South Dakota and served as pastor for 17 years in Watertown. Both Warren and his wife, Blank, can't say their, no, can't say their name, have served the South Dakota district in various capacities, and brother Welch has served as an SD direct presbyter for over 20 years. Reverend Welch is a member of the Crow, Crow, Crow Creek Sioux Tribe in Central South Dakota. Currently based out of Calvary, UPC, and Pierre S.D. Bro, and since Welch has been working in Native American outreach in the city of Pierre, three Indian reservations in Pierre area. Brother Welch has been blessed to minister in Native American communities throughout the U.S. and Canada. I've also, that's the end of that article. Now, this is what I want to say. This is proof to me that if we don't get help for our sexual struggles, we turn out to be sex criminals who have to make it our responsibility do everything we can to heal ourselves sexually and not to make abuse as an excuse to abuse another. There's more I need to do. I need to do so much more. Black Collar Crime Series. Evangelical pastor Philip Buxton accused of impregnating teenager. February 6, 2019. Everybody you count, you can't count on. Don't confuse spies and supporters. Everybody looking ain't looking out. Philip Buxton, pastor of Cleveland Chapel Baptist Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina, 
says accused of repeatedly having non-consensual sex with a minor beginning at age 13, twice getting her pregnant. The pregnancies, according to the Charlotte Observer, were terminated. Abortion, if you will. Buxton has been charged with four counts of second-degree criminal sexual conduct with a minor. He is divorced and father to two young children. Pastor Philip J. Buxton, this is church bio page, says. Pastor Philip J. Buxton, a native of Gaffney, South Carolina, born and raised in Gaffney. Pastor Buxton also was converted at the tender age of nine, and he's been serving God in various capacities. Pastor Buxton was educated in Gaffney for 12 years and started his education in psychology at Spartanburg Methodist College. While attending SMC, Pastor Buxton was a stellar basketball player, which he earned national recognition and is now currently enrolled as a student at the N.J. Brockman School of Theology, Calpins EXP. Pastor Buxton serves as one of the coordinators for the Cherokee County School Curriculum Council. Pastor Philip J. Buxton was licensed to preach the gospel under the tutelage of Pastor C.A. Wallace at the Mount Sinai Missionary Baptist Church, Gaffney, South Carolina. Pastor Buxton served in many capacities, later joined the Cleveland Chapel Baptist Church, where he served as assistant minister under the leadership of Reverend Anthony R. Wilson. In 2011, Pastor Buxton was called to senior pastorate Pine Grove Baptist Church, Iowa, South Carolina. He was ordained by the Little River Missionary Baptist Association, where Pastor Joseph Codwell is the moderator. In 2014, Pastor Buxton founded Philip J. Buxton Mission Ministries ministry that focuses on ministering to the total person. God is really elevating his ministry. In November 2014, Pastor Philip J. Buxton was called as a senior pastor of the Cleveland Chapel Baptist Church, Spartansburg, South Carolina. Pastor Buxton has been called to many parts of the state and other states, including Georgia, Chicago, North Carolina, Virginia, and Tennessee to preach the word of God. Pastor Buxton's motto is, don't despise small beginnings. What God has for you is for I had to take a breather because this is what happens when we okay wrong and criminality all because they think that the pastor is infallible. Pastoral worship is real. It's pastoral idolatry. You make the pastor God, which is considered sinful according to biblical theology so I have to touch on these things because a lot of people do not want to touch on these things because they think it's sacrilegious and blasphemous to do so but I say fuck that alright um, let me 
Oh, this one's gonna be rough. Our evangelicals use the Bible to justify their support of people accused of sexual assault. Trump campaign rally in Mississippi, October 2nd. Daddy, the President of the United States just mocked and assaulted a woman who says she's a sexual assault victim. Darling, he's just speaking up for us, sadly abused, disadvantaged, oppressed white men. Clearly sarcasm. This is October 11, 2018. If I've learned anything over the past few years that evangelicals have sold their souls to the devil in exchange for political power and a handful of culture war trinkets. Brett Kavanaugh's U.S. Supreme Court nomination hearing made it clear that many evangelicals have no problem with men who sexually assault women as long as those men could be used to advance their theocratic agenda. We should have expected this after all. He called him baby Christian Donald Trump. I say, after all, anti-Christ Donald Trump said, I moved on her, Nancy Odell, and I failed, I'll, I'll admit it. I did try and fuck her. She was married. And I moved on her very heavily. In fact, I took her out furniture shopping. Getting grossed out already. She wanted to get some furniture. I said, I'll show you where they have some nice furniture. I took her out furniture. I moved on her like a bitch. But I couldn't get there. And she was married. And all of a sudden, I see her. She's now got the big phony tits and everything. She's totally changed her look. I better use some Tic Tacs just in case I start kissing her. Ariane Zucker. I know I'm automatically attracted to beautiful women. He's going to say women, but then... Okay, I'm getting... I'm, I'm more gross now. Oh, God damn it. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. Just kiss. I don't even wait when you're started. Let you do it. You could do anything. Grab them by the pussy. You could do anything. And 81% of voting evangelicals still, in black capital letters, elected the man to the highest office in the land. If evangelicals are willing to ignore Trump's vile behavior, is it any surprise they support Brett Kavanaugh despite his lies about his high school and college drinking habits and sexual proclivities? Think for a moment of all the evangelicals who have come to the site to defend their past when I post a black collar crime story about his alleged criminal behavior. Victims are called liars, whores, seductresses, Jezebels, and the like. This is not surprising. Evangelicalism is built on a complementarian foundation. Women and teen girls are, are expected to be gate gatekeepers, covering themselves up less weak, horny, uncontrollable evangelical horn dog males take sexual advantage of them. If they fail to do so, it's their fault? Ugh. Think I'm overplaying my hand? Consider this comment on evangelical form. Twisted. We all know what's going on here. I would love to ask her, why were you drinking, which was illegal? Why would you go into a room bed with four boys or two boys? When did you lose your virginity? Or when did you first let a boy fill you up? What the fuck? That is so fucked up. Beat the shit out of these motherfuckers. I fucking do. I guarantee you, countless evangelical men and women have had similar thoughts. 
evidently prior sexual history or poor judgment is justification for ignoring allegations of sexual assault. In their minds, the whore got was coming to her. Don't want to be raped, don't drink, or don't go into rooms along with boys. In other words, it's the victim's fault. It is always in black capital letters, her fault to some degree or the other. Violent thoughts are coming to my mind regarding anyone who feels that way, from me to them. To this day, some of Jack Shack's supporters believe the teen girl he sexually assaulted came on to him. She seduced him, they say. And that is not that he was old enough to be the girl's father and was her pastor slash counselor. In the minds of his defenders, if the victim had been a Jezebel, why Shap would still be the CEO of the Hiles Empire, First Baptist Church, Hammond, Indiana, and Hiles Anderson College. Evangelicals say they are people of the book. The Bible. In black capital letters. People believe the Bible is an inspired infallible text. In their minds, if they can find a proof text for that horrid beliefs, all is well. I heard Evangelical use several proof texts to justify the support of the of the Roman Catholic Brett Kavanaugh. That they support a Catholic is astounding enough before the culture are formed fomented by Jerry Falwell and Paul Weyrich in the late 1970s. Evangelicals consider Roman Catholicism a cult. Many evangelicals believe the Catholic Church was the great whore of Babylon mentioned in Revelation chapter 17. Evidently, if it means overturning Roe versus Wade, evangelicalism's golden calf. Evangelicals are willing to sacrifice their beliefs on the altar of political expediency. Today, I received an email from an evangelical man who said, the absurdity of the Billy Graham rule? Apparently, I haven't read the Bible, Genesis chapter 39, verse 1 through 20. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph. He refuses her advances and runs from her. Fear is she takes her revenge by accusing with attempted rape. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 1 through 20, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph. He refuses her advance and runs from her. Fear is she takes her revenge by accusing with attempted rape. Rape. He's repeating again. While the email writer is addressing the Billy Graham rule, I'm sure his words could apply to Brett Kavanaugh too. Genesis chapter 39, verse 1 through 20, we have a fanciful story about Joseph and Potiphar's wife. According to the good book, the wife of the Catholic Pharaoh's guard had the hots for Joseph. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, his captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him, brought him on of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. This master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight and he served him. And he made him overseer of his house and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house. And over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not he had saved the bread And Joseph was a goodly man and well favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Though my master watcheth not what is with me in the house, and have committed all that he hath to my hand. There's none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. 
how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass that she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her, to lie by her, to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went to the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled for that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto me. And I cried with a loud voice, and it came to pass when we heard that I lifted my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came unto me to mock me. And it came to pass as I lifted my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, and she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant did thy servant to me that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. According to evangelicals, Brett Kavanaugh, much like Joseph, was falsely accused of sexual misconduct. Kavanaugh's supporters proved there was no evidence to support Blasey for its claims or that of two other women. Thus, he's innocent of all charges. Wait a minute, where's the evidence for Joseph's claims? The account of Genesis chapter 39 was written centuries later. This author was writing a story that has been passed down from generation to generation. No witnesses were brought forth to prove Joseph's accusations. Why do evangelicals accept this story as true? Oh, I know, it's in the B-I-B-L-E Bible. Evidently, living witnesses, yearbook statements, and the like don't count, but words in ancient religious texts do. The greater lesson, of course, is that Christian men should never ever be alone in a room with a woman who are not their wives. Whores sarcastically this is him sarcasm kicking in whores such as ford lurk in the shadows waiting to seduce all who come their way it's, isn't that what's alluded to in proverbs chapter 7 but for at the window of my house i looked through my casement and beheld among the simple ones i discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding passing through the street near her the harlot corner and he went the way to her house in the twilight and evening, in the black and dark night, and behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot, a subtle apart. She is loud and stubborn, her feet abide not in her house. Now she's without now in the streets and life and wait at every corner. So she called him and kissed him with an impudent face, said unto him, I have peace offerings with me. This day have I paid my vows. Therefore came I forth to meet thee diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. I've decked my bed with covers of tapestry, with carved works, with fine linen of Egypt. I've, perf I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves. The good man is not at home. He is gone in a long journey. He hath taken a bag of money with him and will come home at the day appointed. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her straightway, as an ox goeth go to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart strike through his liver, as a bird hasted to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways, go not astray in her path, for she has cast down many wounded, yeah, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. Another Bible claim 
made is that all accusations must yet be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses, especially those levied against past offenses and Supreme Court justices and presidents. He said, he said, allegations are to be rejected out of hand, well, unless the person in question is Democrat, as in the case of former President Bill Clinton. Here's what the Bible says on the matter. If there be found among you within any of thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, man or woman, that hath wrought wickedness in the sight of the Lord thy God, and transgressing his covenant, hath gone and said that the gods have worshipped him, either the sun or moon or any of the hosts of heaven, which I, which I have not commanded. And it be told thee, and thou hast heard of it, and inquired diligently, behold, it be true, and the thing certain that such abomination is wrought in Israel, then shall not bring forth that man or that woman which have committed that wicked thing unto thy gates, even that man or that woman, and shall stone them with stones till they die. At the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall be death. At the mouth of one witness he shall not be put to death. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 2 through 6. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin. Then he said that he sinneth. At the mouth of two witnesses, or at the mouth of three witnesses, shall the matter be established. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 15. I have written several times about how these verses and others are used to insulate evangelical church leaders from sexual misconduct allegations. Please read. If you didn't see it, it didn't happen. The sexual abuse in the Jack Hiles rule. If you didn't see it, it didn't happen. Finally, evangelicals use what I call the she didn't cry out defense Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22-24 says, If a man be found lying with a woman married to a husband, then, shall then, then they shall both of them die. Both the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shalt, thy, so shalt thou put away evil from Israel. For damsel that is a virgin be betrothed to a husband, and a man find, and find her in the city and lie with her. He shall bring them both out to the gate of this, that city, and ye shall stone them with stones that they die. The damsel, because she cried not being in the city, and the man, because he hath humbled his neighbor's wife, so that shall put away evil from among you. If the woman had cried out, then only her attacker would be executed. Because she didn't, she too was stoned to death? Of course, the evangelicals pick and choose what they want to believe. This same chapter says, women should wear men's clothing. Verse 5. Farmers should use both John Deere and Case tractors, verse 10. Men shouldn't wear cotton slash polyester blend shirts, verse 11. If a man marries a woman only to find out she isn't a virgin, he's free to divorce her. If her parents can't prove their daughter is a virgin, she is to be executed, verses 13 through 21. If a man sexually assaults a betrothed woman in the country and only he is executed, verses 25 to 27. The man has sex with a virgin in the country and that discovery shall pay the woman's parents money and marry her. Verse 20 through 29. Oh my God. Those are all... I just got to say it. I despise all of those biblical verses because they are all lies and cruelty. And the and the verses of twenty three to twenty four in chapter twenty three Deuteronomy, I despise those verses too because again they are filled with lies and cruelty. Um, Ford and other Kavanaugh accusers shouldn't be believed because they never 
cried out when the alleged assaults occurred. I'm sure that these very same defenders of Brett Kavanaugh, Donald Trump, believe Bill Cosby and R. Kelly got raw deals. His accusers never said a word when he drugged them and took sexual advantage of them. No cry, no crime, says the bumper stickers on their cars. The aforementioned verses are a poignant reminder of why Christians and atheists alike must tirelessly oppose the establishment of evangelical Sharia law in the United States. Let theocrats have their way. There will come a day when abortion doctors and women who had abortion will be charged with murder, a crime punishable by death. And who will theocrats thank? Their patron saints, Donald Trump and Brett Kavanaugh. Historians will look back to 2018 as the year when evangelicals cast away any pretense of ethics and morality, choosing instead of re-victimized millions of women and men who have been sexually assaulted, raped, inappropriately touched, and otherwise sexually violated. Isn't that exactly what they have done for decades with their assistance that rape slash pregnant girls slash teens slash women carry their fetuses to term? They showed everyone the callousness of their hearts, so we shouldn't now be surprised with their allegiance to and support of powerful men who commit sexual crimes, otherwise made in abhorrent ways. Jesus wept. I am in opposition of evangelical Sharia law. I am in opposition to theocrats and theocracy. Um, to use Genesis chapter 9, verse 1 through 20 to justify criminality and bigotry, I say, oh, hell to the now on that. Christianizing misogyny, I say, you can kiss my entire ass. Let's play Smear the Queer, Bruce Gorenzo, June 16, 2021. The post from 2015 to 2016, edited, updated, and corrected. Several years ago, I attended a high school football game in which the fans on both sides of the field stood with hands over hearts as the band played our post-9-11 national anthem, God Bless America. This largely evangelical, conservative, Republican crowd views religion and patriotism as one and the same. In their minds, the United States is a uniquely chosen and blessed nation, a people whose God is the deity found in the pages of the Bible. I doubt that any of these uber-patriotic Christians thought as they stood to praise Jesus that what they were doing turned faith into a political football to be tossed to and fro according to the whims of our political elites. From their perspective, the United States has always been God's country. Other religions are grudgingly permitted, and even atheists are allowed the freedom to live as they please, but no one should ever doubt that there is one true God, and J-S-U-S is his name in black capital letters. 
Once the crowd was finished, master banning the American flag and our country's phallic, quote unquote, greatness, phallic, P-H-A-L-I-C, they settled in to watch two plus hours of rock'em sock'em, mano a mano organized violence. Christianity quickly faded to the distance as each side cheered their team, calling them to pummel their opponent into submission. Players were encouraged to hit hard and capacitated their enemy. So much was on the line. Future tales of Gridiran glory and the conference championship awaited the team with the most points at the end of the game. As the game wore on, one team got the upper hand and handily beat their rival into the ground. On both sides of the field, the people just in an hour or so ago were singing praises to their god, now screaming and cursing at the officials. One offended fan even went so far as to attack one of the officials because he was fat, leading my son to say, what does the official's weight have to do with the call he made? After the game, as I walked to my car, a man and his son passed by me as they did. The father asked the son what he had been doing during the game. Many children, quote unquote, attend football games but don't actually watch the event. The boy replied, we're playing smear the career. I thought, oh my God, here we are in the 21st century. The boyhood game is still called with Mary, I thought, smear the queer. The boy's father said nothing, giving toxic approval to his son's disparaging use of the word queer. I suspect the boy has never bothered to consider that using the word queer or any other pejorative word for LGBTQI plus community might be offensive. But the father knew better, and yet he said nothing. And I know some LGBTQI plus people call themselves queers. That doesn't mean non-LGBTQI plus people should use the word in a pejorative way. I am not surprised by the things I've observed. After all, I live in rural Northwest Ohio, a land primarily inhabited by heterosexual white Republican Christians, a land that gives white preference its color, its monoculture, proud of its ignorance and simplicity of the world. When they say America's Christian white, when they, when they say America is a Christian nation, they're saying America is a white Christian nation. While I thoroughly enjoy watching and photographing high school sporting events, I find the cultural trappings surrounding these contests to be disheartening. I know that most fellow locals have never ventured far from the farm fields, manufacturing facilities, and Christian churches of Northwest Ohio. They're simply living out what they know, rarely, if ever, exposed to the complex, contradictory world that lies outside their borders. When those who live in a particular locality never come in contact with people different from them, when the few who are different are dismissed and marginalized, there's no surprise that the locals think and behave the way they do. In their world, smearing a courage is another childhood game, a game however that says much about the place where it is played. It goes without saying that not every local is as described above. I'm deliberately painting with a broad I'm deliberately painting with a broad brush over the past fifteen years. I've met a few liberal-minded locals who value pluralism and multiculturalism. Oh, those are my values, too. People who know something about life beyond the flatlands and cornfields of rural Northwest Ohio. Personally, I love the place I call home even if I am not loved back. I appreciate the slowness of small-town life. I love living in a town where I never have to worry about being burglarized or murdered, and if I leave my car unlocked, it will still be in a drive come morning. I don't, I don't want readers to think that I hate where I live. I don't. This is my home. My children and grandchildren live here, and it is for them I continue to confront local bigotry, racism, and religious extremism. I want them to have a better tomorrow. I hate the game Smear the Queer, and I hate the pejorative usage of the word queer. And the father 
is a poor excuse for a father. He shouldn't even be called a father for his parental moral negligence of his own child. Black collar crime, evangelical pastor Jerome Milton accused of credit card abuse and property theft. Jerome Milton, pastor of Open Door Bible Church in Tyler, Texas, stands accused of two counts of credit or debit card abuse against the elderly and one count of property theft between $2,500 and $30,000. Jerome Rocky Milton, 65, of Tyler, was charged Saturday with two counts of credit or debit card abuse against the elderly and one count of property theft between, again, $2,500 and $30,000. He remained Friday in the Smith County Jail since his arrest on bonds totaling $550,000. Milton is the reverend for Open Door Bible Church in Tyler, and according to the arrest affidavit, Milton was helping take care of an elderly couple at church and had the power of attorney finances for them. The Tyler police investigation began when the elderly couple's son heard two church members say Milton was misusing his parents' bank cards and getting them to sign blank checks. According to the affidavit, the investigation showed multiple debit card transactions and ATM, and ATM withdrawals from the elderly husband's bank card. The, de the detective said multiple checks were written from the couple's accounts to Milton and his personal and church accounts. He repeatedly used the couple's money to make personal payments on his own behalf, according to the affidavit. Bank records and receipts show the elderly man's card was used to make a vehicle payment on Milton's account with an auto repair shop. Records also show Milton used the man's card to pay for a loan at a used car business, after David stated. When questioned about using the couple's card to make his vehicle payments, Milton at first denied the act. But shown the receipt, the detective said Milton cannot explain why that happened after David's read. The document also shows Milton used the couple's bank cards to withdraw cash between March and July. The cash, the cash withdrawals totaled about $3,800. The detective said Milton cannot explain how the withdrawn cash was used for the couple's benefit. Milton told the officer the elderly man liked to keep cash in his wallet as a reason for the cash withdrawals, after David stated. During the investigation of the couple's bank cards, the detective learned Milton was previously the pastor at Greater New Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Tyler, which was originally Pleasant Hill Missionary Baptist Church. According to the affidavit, Milton was asked to leave around 2018 by church membership because of his handling of finances and other suspicious behavior on his part. Texas Bank and Trust records for Milton showed he deposited two checks totaling $5,000 written to him this past August from an American state bank account named Pleasant Hill Missionary Baptist Church. The checks were signed by Martha Rowe, the affidavit said. However, the American state bank account was closed in 2018. Before Texas Bank and Trust Service were notified, Milton withdrew cash and paid bills the portion of that $5,000 affidavit read. The closed account at Texas Bank and Trust had a negative balance of $2,991,052. When Milton wrote the first check of $3,000, the account notes were $21.29, the document stated. The detective spoke to Kermit Lane, a current deacon of Greater New. Pleasant Hill Baptist Church and said the church did not write Milton those checks or any checks since he left the church about three years ago. He also said Greater New Pleasant has never had a bank account with American State Bank, according to the police document. 
Lane told the detective Roan died earlier this year. She was Milton's personal secretary while at the church at the time. She had no permission to sign any checks written from the church and make any financial decisions from the church that baby stated. Milton gave the police a document showing church trustees voted to allow him to open bank accounts in the church's name. The account, which was closed in 2018, had several donation checks written to the church deposited during the year it was open. Several checks were also written from the account and it was used to pay personal expenses like cable bills and house rent, the affidavit stated. Lane later told the detective Milton's document allowing him to open the bank account was false and Milton was only allowed briefly to access a church bank account to assist with payments for a building while he was pastor. The Texas Bank and Trust Fish told the detective that that bank wanted to prosecute Milton, according to the affidavit. You do have crooks, turncoats, fetuses, and gutless hypocrites in the house of God. And everyone involved, and anyone and everyone involved in shady, shysty actions should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Their credentials should be revoked. And they should lose everything, including so-called people of God in this context. This is published January 25th, 2018. Dorothy Nicolo, treasurer for Anon Baptist Church, Tallahassee, Florida, stands accused of using church funds to pay for personal goods and vacations. Carl Edison, a reporter for the Tallahassee Democrat, writes, for the past five years, investigators say Dorothy Nicolo used the bank accounts of Anon Baptist Church like her own pocketbook. The 70-year-old paid for vacation, shopping, sprees, and a lifestyle beyond her means with the $119,000 she accused of stealing from the West Leon County Church. Nicola, who served as the church's volunteer treasurer for 24 years, was arrested Wednesday by the Leon County Sheriff's Office on 40 felony accounts that include grand theft of more than $100,000, scheme to defraud, fraudulent use of a credit card, and forgery. Church leadership caught onto the church leadership caught onto the debris when it went to repave its parking lot. Heavy machinery to be used was delivered to the church on a Sunday in September. Nicola asked why it was there and told several people that church did not have enough money to complete the $30,000 project, according to court records. The church only had about $20,000, a, a fraction of what should have been available. Nicola had been altering the monthly expenditure records to conceal the purchases and money she was funneling from two bank accounts, according to court records. Church officials never noticed the discrepancies between Nicolo. Church officials never noticed the discrepancies because Nicolo had financial statements mailed to her house. Nicolo, who worked at Florida State University as a secretary for 30 years, was confronted about the thefts and admitted to Pastor Jason Whitelock to using the church's credit cards. I know I was wrong. I've admitted it. I'm very sorry about it, she told investigators. It just seemed easy and I lost my sense of judgment. 
She spoke in front of the church's congregation in October, asking for forgiveness and promising to repay the money. Letters she read aloud is included in court records. Nicola says she worked out a repayment budget and offered $5,000 in inheritance money as a down payment. She told Whitelock she tried to pay back the money incrementally by putting cash in and the collection paid, but he told investigators there was no indication that had occurred. Once the scheme was uncovered, Nicola began to return to the church items she purchased with the stolen money. Court records indicate Nicola returned 427 rolls of yarn, two shotguns, two cannon cameras, 86 Sea World picture frames, 158 stuffed animals, theme park cups, theme park cups, 76 assorted coffee mugs, acrylic bears and ceramic animal figurines, 234 bags and purses, 52 shirts and jackets, cell phone chargers and accessories, luggage and Apple Watch. She told investigators she used the church's money to find trips to SeaWorld, Disney World, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and made purchases in Cozumel while on a cruise. Can somebody say Satan's daughter? That is the perfect summary of how I feel about that article. Baptist Church Treasurer Tyusha Smith D. Joseph accused of embezzling over $500,000 October 17, 2020. St. Smith D. Joseph Treasurer for St. Paul's Baptist Church in Florence, New Jersey stands accused of embezzling over $500,000 in the church. Tyusha D. Smith D. Joseph 43 was responsible for this is CNN reports. Taisha D. Smith D. Joseph 43 was responsible for overseeing the church's finances and open electronic bank accounts for St. Paul Baptist Church and used the money for personal expenses, the Burlington County Prosecutor's Office said in a statement. Over the course of five years, ending in March 2019, Smith D. Joseph allegedly used the stolen money to pay her car loans, rent, credit card expenses, cable bill, cell phone bill and to make hundreds of online purchases and pay for a wedding venue, a police investigation determined. The church's board of trustees suspected a theft around June 2019 and approached authorities with their suspicions, which prompted an investigation. Joel Bowie, a spokesman for the Burlington County Prosecutor's Office on CNN, Smith and Joseph allegedly made purchases totaling $266,595.65 through PayPal According to Buley, the purchase of $202,812.869 on Amazon. People put their hard-earned money in the church and really expected for it to be taken care of. The Reverend Fred Jackson told senior affiliate KWKYW. It's very hurtful for the entire congregation. We've been going through it for several months now. What else can I say? It was devastating. Smith and Joseph also allegedly issued payroll and supply reimbursement checks to herself from the church's bank accounts and fabricated monthly statements to hide the church's true financial state, according to a probable cause statement from the Burlington County's prosecutor's office. The woman was charged with multiple crimes, including theft by deception, computer criminal activity, and failure to pay income tax. The man who said he is Mr. Joseph's brother, so CNN KYW, he wasn't aware of the allegations. 
I know my sister and she would never do no shit like that, he said. The man was not named. Bellington County Prosecutor's Office said an attempt to hide the scheme. Samantha Joseph didn't file income tax returns for 2014, 2015, 2016, and 2018. In 2017, she allegedly, she allegedly filed a fraudulent tax return. I wish people would stop saying that they know so-and-so so well that they know the accused person can never do such a thing. None of us know someone so well that we can speak infallibly about his behavior. Highly doubt that my wife is a serial killer. Can I know for certain that Polly is not a serial killer? Of course not. All any of us can do is trust people. Sometimes people we trust the most do unspeakable things. One need only read the articles in the Black Collar Crime Series to see that supposedly good people do awful things. Here's what I say. One... We need extensive background checks. And two, congregations should give out congregational legal discipline. Meaning the way that they choose to punish the pulpits should be within reasons in the law. And congregants should not be fooled by false forgiveness and disingenuous repentance and falsified redemption whether you choose to forgive or not do not have that person back as a part of church staff at all make sure their demonic realm asses are kept the fuck out away from the house of the most high God So, I'm just thinking deeply about how I'm going to do the next episode. This will be the last article I do for this episode. Quote of the day, how evangelicals justify past sexual sin. Jesus forgives, so should we. November 29, 2017. Dear baby Jesus, I'm so sorry I molested five girls. Please forgive me. I promise to never do it again. Unless I am tempted in sin, I'll be back for some of that awesome no-cost forgiveness. This is Bruce's brilliant sarcasm. Often narrative sin and redemption is particularly prevalent among evangelicals who have been accused of sexual misconduct. At the evangelical te- television personality, Josh Duggar confessed to molesting his sister as a teenage boy. He and his family is a salvation playbook. Michael C. Wald, whose son is married to one of Duggar's sisters, spoke out against the media condemnation of Duggar, who was never charged with the crime. The ultimate answer is what Josh found in millions like him. He found forgiveness and cleansing from Jesus Christ. The many of you that are reading these words right now have had thoughts and deeds no better than what Josh had and did. 
Disgraced mega church founder Ted, Hag- Ted Haggard resigned his post in 2006 after admitting to drug use in a sex scandal with a male sex worker. He returned to public church life with similar rhetoric. I'm a sinner and my wife is insane. I feel we have moved past the scandal. We have forgiveness, but it's a second chance. In other words, there's a tendency among evangelicals to see sexual other sins that have happened long ago, or even not that long ago, either prior to conviction, either prior to conversion itself, or prior to a reconversion or renewal of faith as well naturally. Long quotations. Of course, people commit sinful acts because sin is part of the human condition. Of course, people are victims of sin without God's grace to help free them of it. He's, I'm just, Bruce and I are quoting biblical theology, that's all. There are a few problems with how this manifests in practice. It can absolve, quote unquote, saved individuals of too much responsibility for past misdeeds since they've considered the deeds of a past different, since they're considered the, since they are considered the deeds of a past different self. It encourages a culture of silence among evangelicals about their struggles. Since salvation is supposed to mean that temptation goes away, any backsliding is a result of insufficient faith. Finally, this, this theological approach also means that sins tend to be conflated, especially sexual sins. Consensual premarital sex and sexual abuse are often seen on the same spectrum, both the result of, of a temptation too great to bear. These are all in quotation. Without God, the implication goes people have almost no agency. In Morris' case, the fact that his alleged sins happened so long ago and that the intervening years I've seen it become more and more committed to the idea of a theo- theocratic Christian state, only to by some evangelical senses that Morris' actions in the evening, if true, don't necessarily have a bearing on who he is now. It's also worth noting that in the aftermath of Trump's campaign, evangelicals have done extraordinary about faith. Uh, evangelicals have done in a, in a, an extraordinary about face when it comes to their view on the importance of politicians' personal morality. Many, many Christian scholars and thinkers have been intensely critical of this get out of jail free approach to sin and grace, as I noted earlier this month. Among the most prominent in the past century was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor and anti Nazi dissident who was executed in a concentration camp for his activism. Bonhoeffer distinguished between cheap grace, easy forgiveness that allowed individual perpetrators and in oppressive societies to get away unchallenged with their actions and quote-unquote costly grace or forgiveness that also acts as hard questions and demands and demands social change. It's worth noting, however, that several prominent evangelicals, including the president of South Baptist Convention's policy on Russell Moore and our relation, have spoken out criticizing Moore's evangelical supporters. Christians, if you cannot say definit- definitively, no matter what, that adults creeping in on teenage girls is wrong, do not tell me how you stand against moral relativism, Russell Moore tweeted. Despite this cheap, grace has become seemingly common in some evangelical communities, especially where there are practical, political, or pragmatic reasons that are public and powerful, for example, to have a look at sin and preserve the stat- social status quo. Wow. So the perpetuation of Satan in the name of torturing the grace and mercy of God. People with these attitudes, I think, should be prosecuted and to stay away from society. I think jail is where they should stay because they are part of the unlawfulness and heartlessness problems. 
I hate cheap grains. I love costly grains. They shall get out of jail free approach to saying grains are despicable to me. This specifically concludes the series.